0: This ar-Rahman him. now the fourth chapter, first chapter was on certainty, second chapter was on intention (niyyah), third chapter was on vigilance, always being aware and conscious of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This is the fourth chapter, which is on the inner and outer self. Imam al (as) begins: You must, oh my brother, improve your out, improve your inward aspect. Until it becomes better, than your virtuous outward appearance. For the former, yani, your inner aspect, is where the gaze of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yani Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala the real obtains, while the latter, yani your outer aspect is where the envious gaze of creation is to be found. So the whole purpose of Imam Al al Altala's chapter here. It's because he's addressing people who are talaba of ilm, who are salikin of the path. Normally people like that, they outwardly observe in an appearance and dress and manner and lifestyle of the sunnah of Nabi Karim ﷺ. But he was pointing to them that your inner reformation, your inner islah, the word used in Arabic here is islah, to rectify and reform and correct your inner self is more important than the rectification and the correction of your outward aspect. So he acknowledges that they have a virtuous outward appearance. But he began by saying, what improve your inward aspect, your batan, until it becomes better than your outward virtuous zahir. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala really gazes upon your batan. And it's makhluk who can see your zahir. Makhluk who can see your zahir. And often when the makhlouf see your zahir, they may even gaze upon a pure outward form with envy. Or as in this day and time, they will gaze upon it with nafra, as mutanafir, with dislike and repugnance. But the importance is how to make yourself pleasing to Allah as opposed to the creation. Then he mentions a very interesting thing that we call a nukta a ma'afa about Qur'an. And he writes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never mentioned the inward and the outward, the batin and the zahir in Qur'an al-Karim in his kitab. Except that Allah Taala always began by mentioning the batin. So whenever in Qur'an al-Karim batin and zahir, these two came together, Allah Taala always mentions the word batin first. So he takes that also as a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the inner self and inner reality and condition of a person's heart... Is more important even than their virtuous outward appearance or their virtuous outward acts. So then he meant that was his quoting from the Quran. And then he mentions the dawah of Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi Allahumma j'al khayram min alaniyati. Waj al alaniyati saliha. That O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make my inner reality even better than my outward form and make my outward form. He also addresses the other side. The other side is that sometimes there are people who claim that even though their outward acts and appearance and lifestyle is not according to the Sunnah of Nabi al Sallallahu Sunnah of Sallam, and therefore the outward form is not virtuous, they claim an inner piety, and they claim an inner virtue. And there are many people like that in, in many Muslim countries, in many Muslims, even in non-Muslim countries, that they claim an inner piety with Allah where they abandon the outward acts of piety. In fact, I remember a few years ago and I often give you this example of this person I met in Lahore but I cannot tell you too much of the example because you might be able to figure out who it is but let's say a very accomplished person in civil society and who did not pray any Salah, did not pray Jummah does not believe in going to Makkah, Makarram, Madina Deena does not believe in fasting. But he insisted that he was of an extremely high spiritual state and he viewed himself to be a lover of the awliya, a lover of the friends of Allah ta'ala. So this was a strange thing. So the reality is, is that the true model of spirituality is Sayyidina Rasulullah And any concept of Sufism that makes a claim like that that you can abandon the outward reality and the outward form and claim an inner reality is against the way of the Prophet Then there's another philosophy here which is, exists in Lahore but it is more of a European and Western Muslim phenomenon and that is called the perennialist school. The perennialists are those people who believe that actually all religion is just a shell and an outer form for a true inner reality and that inner reality is your spiritual connection to Allah and once you have that inner connection it doesn't matter which outward form you follow this again would be a negation of the whole legacy and Nabuwa of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu wa so in the next two paragraphs Imam al-Haddad addresses this he says that when the inward is good, the outward is also inevitably so. If the person in their heart truly loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will necessarily pray salah and make sadda to him. If in their heart they truly love Rasulullah sallallahu الله عليه they will definitely outwardly lead a life and lifestyle that closely approximates his. In fact, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu الله عليه himself said, "Man ahabba sunnati." That person who loves my sunnah, that is the person who loves me. And that person who loves me, they will be alongside with me, they will be my companion in Jannah. Alright? So love for Allah Ta'ala cannot be something separate from love for ibadah and ita'a, worship and obedience. And love for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam cannot be something separate and love for the Sunnah. Now Imam al-Khadad is making it clear that sometime there are two ways people will work it. The first paragraph for those people who begin with the virtuous outward self and he's calling them to the reality they have to work on their inner self. And the second paragraph he's also mentioning some people will work it the other way that they will begin by first getting this feeling of love for Allah Ta'ala love for Rasulullah s.a.w. in their batin and their heart And that will necessarily, inevitably, lead them to adopt all of the outward aspects and actions and acts of the Sharia and Sunnah. So, the point is to arrive at both, and different people may take different paths at doing so. So we repeat his words again, when the inward is good, the outward is also inevitably so. For the outward always follows the inward, whether for good or for evil. Then he quotes a hadith in the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wa that in the body there lies a small piece of flesh, a mugla. When it is good, the rest of the body is good also. And when it is corrupt, the rest of the body becomes corrupt also. Allah wa al qalb. And know and be well informed that this is the heart. Now this hadith itself is very interesting because this hadith itself has an outward and inward meaning. When this hadith is applied to the outward, it's talking about human anatomy and physiology, and that is something today that doctors would tell you, a cardiologist especially, that the most critical organ, physical organ of the physical body, is the heart. And if a person's physical heart is sound, they're likely to be healthy. Obviously, there can be many other problems a person can have, but broadly speaking, and if their heart is medically, physically corrupt, then their whole physical self is corrupt. And that is the first meaning of this hadith of Nabi sallallahu But, interestingly, in Arabic language, there are many cases where there are multiple words that are used for one thing. But sometimes in Arabic language, Allah Ta'ala has used one word to indicate multiple things. Here's a perfect example of that, the word Talb. Now the Arabic language, Normally one would have expected that the word for physical heart would have been something different and the word for the spiritual heart would have been done something different. But in the Quran and the Hadith, the spiritual heart, which is the heart of the ruh, is also called Kalb. And the physical heart, that pumps blood, is also called Kalb. Alright, so it's one word referring to two realities. So that's why then the ulama will take both meanings here in this Hadith as well. So when you take the second meaning, then it means that there is a part of the batin that if it is sound, the entire batin means the nafs and aql of that person will also be sound and that is their qalb. And there's a part of their batin that if it is corrupt, then the rest of their batin, yani their akal and nafs will also be corrupt and again that is the spiritual heart. Alright? And it's in that second sense that Imam al-Haddad, Mulat Allah brought this hadith here in this chapter. And then the next paragraph, know that the one who claims, makes a dawah, makes a claim to have a thriving inward. Now he means spiritually, a spiritually virtuous and pine inward. But whose outward has been corrupted by his abandoning outward acts of obedience is a pretender and a liar. It's not possible. To be spiritually pure internally and not perform the acts that are pure and pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Okay. Then he goes back to the first type of people. Which were what? The ones who have the zahir. And he wants them to work on the button. So for them he says, The one who exerts himself in the islah, the reform and correction of his outward aspect by caring by caring and being conscientious and trying to improve and make virtuous the way he dresses and appears, speaks, moves, sits, stands, and walks, but leaves his inward, his bottom, full of repellent attributes and vile traits, is one of the people of affectation and ostentation. So this is what is known as tasanno and riya. That this person outwardly they're virtuous but still inside their heart they have lust or they have greed or they have anger, they have envy, they have pride, they have arrogance. Even though outwardly their dressing and appearance and speaking and moving and sitting and standing and walking is pure. So these are the people of affectation which is called tasamno and ostentation which is called riya. And they're murideen and an-al-mawla, they're actually turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're not the people who've turned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in their abandoning of inner virtue, they have also turned away from Allah wa ta'ala. And the first group, the, the second group, in their ab- turning away from abandoning the outward acts of obedience, they've also turned away from Allah wa ta'ala. So whether outwardly or inwardly, the person must always be turned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he mentions that beware, O oh brother, <coughs> that uh, beware, brother, of doing in secret that which, if seen by people, would make you ashamed. So when you're alone, secretly, it's called sirran, that you do certain things, maybe immodest acts, lewd acts, that you would never do if others could see you. Or, if you were sleeping in a dorm room or in a masjid, you would obviously wake up for Fajr Salah. But if you're sleeping alone in your bedroom, in your own dormitory, you might not wake up for Fajr Salah. So beware of doing, in secret, that which if seen by people would make you ashamed. And we had done this yesterday in the vigilance and awareness, because actually Allah Ta'ala is seeing you. True shame and modesty and haya is to be felt in front of the being who truly gazes upon you, as opposed to creation whose gaze is imperfect and incomplete. And also be wary of doing, be worried, being worried about being censured. Censured means, uh, this is what is known as lohmatul that somebody critiques you for following something in deen. So you shouldn't worry about the reproach or censure or blame or sarcasm or jest or jive or mocking of somebody in creation. Then he quotes... <coughs> Allah Ba'zul Arifin, that some of the people of deep intimate knowledge of Allah which again using the British mm. English, he's translated Marifa as Gnosis and arif as Gnostic but most might not be familiar with an English term, so I will just stick to the Arabic some of the Arifin, some of those who have deep intimate awareness and knowledge of Allah said that a person cannot be a true Sufi Unless were everything that is in their bottom to be exposed on a platter in the marketplace, they would not be ashamed of anything that came to light. And this is one of the sayings that the early Sufis had is, what is ikhlas? What does it mean to be truly pure? So they said that whatever is inside in your bottom, as if all your thoughts and all your desires were revealed and presented to the general public, marketplace means the general public, you would have nothing to be embarrassed about. That means you're a true Sufi. You're khalis and muhlas. So what is he pointing to here? That obviously we make sure our outward acts and manner is virtuous. That's what we show to the public. But what if the public could see our inner reality and our thoughts and our desires? Then what would the public think of us? Right? Now obviously the public doesn't see that but Allah SWT says that. And we should be more concerned about how we appear to Allah ta'ala as opposed to how we appear to the public members of creation. Then it concludes this chapter, this hustle, it's called this section. If you cannot, if you can't do this, if you cannot make your inward, your batin, better than your outward, your zahir, then the least that you can do is to make them equal. Because otherwise then a person is guilty of nifaq, a type of hypocrisy. That outwardly they appear virtuous, but inwardly they're not. That's a hypocrisy, a delusion. One can be deceiving others, but one cannot deceive Allah SWT, and ultimately one is only deceiving their own self. They said that if you cannot make your inward better than your outward, the least you can do is to make them equal so that you behave... What does it mean to make them equal? That you behave equally well privately and publicly in obeying Allah Allah's commandments and injunctions and avoiding Allah Allah's prohibitions and in respecting and honoring that which Allah Ta'ala has made sacred and by hastening to please Him subhanahu wa ta'ala This is the first step the abd, the servant and slave takes on the path of ma'rifah, of ifan, of getting that special, deep, intimate knowledge and awareness from Allah Subhanahu wa (coughs) ta'ala He says awwalu qadm, this is the first step that the slave places on what fi tariq al-ma'rifah Al-Ma'rifat-il-Khasa On that special knowledge and inner awareness of Allah Taala. He says you should know this well And success comes only from Allah Well actually these first four chapters Really form the first section of this work Where Imam al-Hadad laid out If you will the quote unquote theory Or the feelings that a person should have Certainty, intention, vigilance And trying to make the inner self more virtuous in the fifth chapter, fifth section the fifth tasal, Imam Muhadr is now going to talk about Amal. He's going to talk about Amal. And specifically, he's going to first talk about which coming later, characters coming later, kindness to poor is coming later, but he's going to begin with the Ibadat, with the what this translator says, devotions, Devotion is devotional acts, any acts of ibadah to Allah SWT. <clears throat> now this is chapter five. On regular devotions. He writes, you must fill up your time with acts of worship so that no period of time elapses, whether by night or by day, without being used in some act of goodness. This is how the barakah, blessing, within time is made manifest. The purpose of life is fulfilled. And the approach to Allah is made constant. Now remember, I mentioned I have mentioned to you at some point this word salik. So the path is called the path of saluk, and the person on this path is called salik. Salik means the wayfarer, journeyer, traveler on the path. So you would also notice that whenever you are traveling on a journey, you don't want there to be a pause. You don't want there to be an interruption. You prefer non-stop travel. So this is what he's trying to bring a person to. How can you begin on the journey to Allah SWT that is covered in these first four sections? Now, how can you proceed on that journey and make sure that journey doesn't stop? That you are constantly, continuously coming closer to Allah SWT Such that every moment of your life you come closer to Allah Taala. Now let's stop at this and look Every moment we come closer to death There was once a person who came to me after a lecture and he gave me a sentence and I told him I'm going to use that. He said that we all go at the same speed towards death. Allah Akbar. Everybody is traveling at the same speed and velocity towards their death. Everybody is going one second at a time. Right? And we may be going at different speeds towards our closeness to Allah ta'ala. Some may be in reverse gear. But as far as death goes, it's a constant. Everybody is going one second at a time towards their death. How long that journey is? Allah, but the speed, journey towards death is the same. Alright? Now what Imam al-Hadarim Allah Ta'ala wanted was the same thing that the path towards... Just like nobody can stop the clock on death. There's not even a second where you can say that I lived a second of my life where it did not bring me one second closer to death. It's impossible. This is what he wants about your relationship with Allah Ta'ala. That you should become so firm and steadfast on this path... That you can't live a second of your life except that that second brought you more pleasure from Allah Ta'ala. Closer to Allah Ta'ala. More beloved to Allah Ta'ala. More strong upon your deen. More like the sunnah. More like your beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You want every second to be like that. So now this is the next um, several chapters are going to be basically trying to tell a person how to live their life practically and how to fill their day. So first he mentions, that's very interesting because again, I keep telling you that the modern world has just been basically reading this classical text of Tasovos. Because all of your time management and discipline and hard work and corporate work culture it's all coming in the next paragraph. Hmm? What does he write? You should allocate specific periods of time for your habitual activities such as eating, drinking and working for a livelihood. Why? Because when you block time out for something, you're containing it. What he wanted to make sure is that eating doesn't become some 24-hour activity, which it is for many of us. Constantly snacking, drinking, pausing, right? Sometimes says, contain it, block it. Set a specific time period for eating and for your drinking, and you're working for a livelihood. Right? So this is one common complaint that women make about their husbands is that my husband brings his work home because he's always on the phone checking his work emails and checking the work messages and working on Saturday and working on Sunday. Imam Haddad knew this is a danger. Okay, then we already covered that earlier, that you can eat and you can drink and you can work. And that's what you do in the dunya, but it has to be contained. And there's a danger of these things. They want to spill over and then they want to take over your very being. So to prevent them from spilling over and taking over, block them out. Block it out. Alright, so you should allocate specific periods of time for your habitual activities, such as eating, drinking, and working for a living. Why? Next line. Know that no state can be sound, and you won't be able to have true sound sabr. The states are coming, that's also several chapters that will come in the middle of the text. But the states, ahwal maqamat in our deen are to have sabr, to have shukr, to have tawakkal on Allah ta'ala, to have zikr, etc., etc. Because you'll never be able to do that. If in the presence of neglect, in, in the presence of ghafla, in the presence of which you forget Allah SWT, your heart is empty and absent of the zikr of Allah SWT, and no wealth is useful in the presence of heedlessness. No wealth, no, the, your money will not have barakah in the presence of heedlessness. Because when you become heedless and mindless of Allah SWT, then the <laughs> money will rope you in, the material world will rope you in, mal and dunya will rope all of, will rope you in. <clears throat> then he quotes Imam al Ghazali Ribbullah Imam al Ghazali Ribbullah one of his laqab, one of his alqab, his laqab is Hujjatul Islam. Hujjatul Islam because himself being a believer was viewed in his century that somebody like Imam al Ghazali being Muslim itself is a proof that Islam was is true. And second, his writings and the life that he lived and the legacy that he left was also viewed as a hujjah or as a proof of deen of Islam. So he writes it, Imam Al-Ghazali, the proof of Islam, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spread his benefit, said, quote, you should structure your time, and now Imam Al-Haddad mentions structuring your time for dunya, Imam Al-Ghazali is going to mention structuring your time for deen. You should structure your time, arrange your regular devotions awrad. Orad is an Arabic word that is a plural of Wird, Wird. Wird means that ibadah that you do every day. For example, some people have a Wird, they will recite istighfar so many times a day, recite so much Quran a day, make certain du'as a day, etc., etc. That in Arabic is known as Wird, a regular daily devotional worship to Allah ta'ala. You should arrange regular devotions, orad and assign to each function a set period of time during which it is given first priority, but which it does not overstep. So it's also setting some sense of a limit on your deen, because obviously if it oversteps, then you may neglect your legitimate worldly duties, or you may neglect your hukukulibat. So an example of this would be, okay, every day after Fajr, I'm going to read Quran, or every night after Isha Salah, I'm going to recite Istikfar, or every day after Asr Salah, I'm going to recite Salawat, Dutrif. These are examples like that. Alright? And he says, because if, if you don't structure your time, what happens? For if you abandon yourself to neglect and purposelessness, as the cattle do. This is a term Allah was used in Quran and An am, an am means beasts that walk the face of this earth. So if you abandon yourself to neglect and purposelessness, as the cattle do, and just do anything that may occur to you at any time, it happens to occur to you. Does that sound familiar? This is how 99% of youth in the world spend their entire weekend. And this is how they spend their entire three months vacation. This is how the corporate man spends every evening of his weekday. And how he also spends his entire weekend. Except the few who are people of discipline and purpose. Just do anything that may occur to you at any time it happens to occur to you. So if you do that, then he says most of your time will be wasted. You have time, you have this, but it will be wasted. Your time is your life, and your life is your capital. It's a very profound thing. This is what Allah is trying to make us feel. Your time is your life. We don't think like that. We just think I'm living. No, Your time is your life. You're losing your life. You lose a day of your life, one day at a time. You lose two days, weekend at a time. You lose three months, summer vacation at a time. Your time is your life, and your life is your capital. It is the basis of your transactions with Allah. What does it mean? that so on the day of judgment, Allah Ta'ala will judge you for your life. The life that you lived is, will be presented in front of Allah. Ta'ala, and that will be the basis on which He loves you, and is happy with you, and pleased with us, and sends us to Jannah. Or He's upset with us, and He chooses to take us to task. It will be this very life that we lived. In time, and your life is the means to attain ever a means to attain to everlasting felicity in falah, in the proximity of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Each of your breaths is a priceless jewel, and it's priceless because it's irreplaceable. And when it passes away, it never returns. It never returns. Inna Insan All right. So this is a very important thing that a person, because before I continue, now he's going to tell you how, tell us how to spend our time. Nobody will be able to spend time the way he tells us to until we first understand what he said up to this point, that we value time and we view our time as something that will bring us closer to Allah's tantal. Until you have that feeling and motivation, inspiration, you won't be able to do what he's about to say in the next few paragraphs. All right? How to get that feeling, motivation, inspiration was again what came in the earlier chapters. Then he says a very interesting thing, that basically the summary of it is that you should mix up and do different types of ibadah. And he's going to explain this in a few paragraphs. So he writes, you should not occupy all your time with only one wir, even if it be the best. For you would then miss the barakah of multiplying and varying your oral. So it's a very good answer to the question that some, many people like to ask who are sincere. That okay, what's the best zikr for me to do? What's the best tree for me to read? What's the best du'a for me? So he's saying, no, don't try to identify what the best is and only stick to it. There's more barakah in the multiplicity and variety that Allah Ta'ala Himself has placed in different acts of ibadah. So an example of this is that Sayyidina Rasulullah, he sallallahu once said. Azdalu zikri la ilaha illallah. That the best zikr, voluntary extra nafal zikr that you could say with your tongue is to recite la ilaha illallah. Now if a person today, you know, the rational calculating mind takes that literally, and says, okay, that's it. I will just recite la ilaha illallah all the time. I won't recite Quran. I won't make du'as. I won't do ulur I won't give nasiha. I won't do dawah. Why? Because the apostle said, Aldal. He said it's the best. The Imam Allah said, no, don't look for what's quote unquote the best because then you would miss the barakah of multiplying and bearing your arad now listen to is each word which means each act of worship, ibadah has a particular distinct, its own unique and special effect on the spiritual heart a nur and a special madad and a help and flow of the that comes from Allah and a rank and draws a person a rank near to Allah Subhanahu Taala. everyone has its own effect Furthermore, when you move from one weird to another, you escape becoming bored. Because it can be boring to do the same thing repeatedly over and over again. So you escape from being bored, indolent. Indolent is just a fancy word for being lazy and sluggish, impatient or weary. Weary means you might tire of it. Some people, if you tell them all you're going to do is say lie, 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 then eventually they get tired. They might say it a few thousand times in the first day, but then they get tired of it. Then he quotes a great shaykh of the Shahad tariq Ibn Atayla al ta'ala He said because Allah al-Haq subhanahu wa ta'ala, knew of the presence of boredom in you and his creation, Allah ta'ala created a variety of acts of obedience a variety of acts of obedience that you can shift and you can turn and you can enjoy different ones just like a person physically in their physical nourishment, they get bored if they eat the same food over and over and over again. If you ask them what's your favorite dish and they tell you, but you give them only their favorite dish for 10 days straight, they'll be begging for something else. So just like the physical nourishment wants variety, just like that the spiritual nourishment of the heart also wants to have variety. And then Imam Mandar said, know that Urad has a great effect In illuminating the heart, actually let me also mention something here. When I was reading this and those of you who were sitting with us in Ramadan may have also remembered some of the majalis we did from the teachings of Shaykh Khan Thang Rehmlatana, Shaykh Abdul Abdel Rehmlatana and in that some of you caught something very subtly which I did but not all of you caught it so I want to say it explicitly now is that from the teachings of these past masters we understand that it can be a good idea to vary your urah. What does it mean? So, for example, if you have a daily practice of saying 100 istighfar a day, you can vary that. Some days you might say, Astaghfirullah min kulli wa Other days you may want to say, Astaghfirullah illahu al hayyul kayyum If you're saying 100 times salawat a day, you may look at the different salawats mentioned in the hadith. For example, Shaykh al-Azim wa'ala Muhammad's Akarir, a small little pamphlet called 40, Durud, salat salam All taken from Hadith. He may recite different ones for your hundred. Sometimes you may recite Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa'ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa Sallam. Sometimes you may want to recite the Durud Ibrahim from Sala. Sometimes you may want to recite a different Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Nabiyyu nabi ummi wa And you may want to vary these things. And especially those who can understand the meanings, it may actually increase the quality of that act of worship. Similarly, when you pray salah, you should try to vary the surahs that you recite. If you constantly pray salah and you only pray two rakahs salah, always with and or whatever anybody's favorite pet, four for four rakahs salah, then it becomes routinized. it becomes monotony. And then there's a danger that you become heedless, because it's, it's easy now. But you say, no, the ratta lagale. So when you have ratta, when it's rote memorization, ritualized practice, it's hard to be conscious. So change the surahs that you recite in the sunnah and nawafil. The imams should also change the surahs they recite when they lead the congregation in prayer, right? Etc. Etc. right? We should change the teachers that we teach you. So we taught you Sheikh al-Shaykh al-Itanvi, Shaykh Abdullah Belabi in Ramadan. Now we're teaching you Shaykh al-Hadal. So there should be some variation, right? some variation. Okay? Alright, now go return to the text. Imam Mahdadi, wa continue. Know that oral, know that these daily acts of worship have a great effect in illuminating the heart. And what was he talking about before? He was talking about batin, the inner self, that means the kalb. So doing these different acts of worship put nur into your heart and controlling the senses See, the purpose of the heart, and he's taking this from Imam al-Ghazali The purpose of the heart was the heart was supposed to control the sight and the tongue and the hearing and the smell and the touch. So when the heart has more nur, then you can control your gaze, and you can watch your tongue, and you don't speak with anger. And when the heart has less nur, it's harder to have control over your senses. And those hearts that have no nur, then they have no control over their senses. Then they become a slave to the pursuit of sensory pleasures. They become a slave to their high shot, slave to physical desires. So, it means that if we need to get nur in the heart. How does one get lured in the heart by doing these different acts of ibadah? But these, anwarat, they only appear and become established in the heart with perseverance and repetition, with istikama and takrar. That you have to do it every day and you have to repeatedly do it every day at constancy. All right? Just like when a person physically works out, they have to do it regularly. Only then will they feel the vitality that comes when a person is in good physical fitness and health. And if they don't have perseverance and repetition in their physical fitness, then they will never get the vitality and strength that a person wants through exercise. It's the same thing with these spiritual exercises. And their performance at specifically allocated times. Okay. Now he says something directly to us because we fall in this category. You see, traditionally in the Muslim world, there were two types of people. One was that person who had to earn for a living. Who had to work, so therefore they can't do ibadah all the time. And then there are some people who today, you may call them senior citizens or retirees or housewives or mothers or women who have more time. They can actually fill their day and night with ibadah. Classically in the Muslim world, history, whenever a person was like that, that's what they would do. If they were retired, they wouldn't think, oh, let me go for golf or let me, you know, join Foji XYZ Foundation. No. Allah Akbar. Subhanallah. I say, if I'm retired, alhamdulillah, now I'll just make you bother for the rest of my life. If there was a woman whose children had grown up and got married and moved on, she'll make you bother for the rest of her life. This is how they understood. We don't think like that anymore. But here, Imam Hadad is now going to talk about the people like most of us who aren't entirely free. So he says that if you are not one of those who fill all their night and daytime hours with devotional activities, ibadat, then assign to yourself some aura to persevere with at specific times that you make up for if missed. Now he's going to explain to you what does istikama mean. Number one, that you do it. Every day at a set time. Number two, that if you miss it, you make it up. So for example, you said, okay, I recite Quran every day after Fajr. and maybe one day you had to leave right after Fajr and catch a flight. You have to make that up. That daily recitation is pending on you. You take it so seriously. You make it up. That means you have this ticama. Third thing he mentions, specific time, number one. Number two, that you make it up. Number three, so that your soul becomes accustomed to keeping them. That means it becomes a necessity for you. It becomes Rahat for you, sukoon for you, adat for you, Habit for you. You can't live without it. Like there are people who can't live without their daily Akhbar. I've seen people like that when they travel, that you tell their spouse, keep the opaque newspaper for me. And when they come back, they actually sit back and they read the entire week that they missed. They read the entire newspaper. I've seen people who read the newspaper cover to cover. Literally, ads, classifieds, things that are absolutely irrelevant to them, human interest history, story, science, technology, arts, leisure, everything. And if they miss anything, and if their wife throws out the paper before they get back to that section, the wife will say, but it's one week before, I hadn't read that section. She'll say, but why? it's sports Monday, today's Thursday, what's the point? I didn't read it. That's what he's talking about. So, I'm giving you examples to show it's possible. People can be like that. People are like this with newspapers. Why don't you think people can be like this with thee? If a person can be enough person, there are millions of people who are like this with newspaper, their Twitter feed, their etc. Right? So why can't you? Why why is it hard for you to imagine that there were people and they are people and there need to be more people who are like this with their Quran, with their duas, with their ibadat, with their salawats, with their salah. It's definitely possible. And in fact, it's critical and it's essential, all right? So that you, so the first thing is that you assign specific time. Second, that you make up for the missed. Third, is that your soul becomes accustomed to it. Four, when your soul despairs of your abandoning them altogether when you miss them, it means your soul gets scared. So do I miss my Quran for today? What if I stop, I'm scared now. What if it wasn't just a one day lapse? What if I lose it? What if it's gone? What if I miss it again tomorrow? What if I, what if I get stripped? What if I become mahroom? And that fear is what makes a person miss it up. That fear is what makes a person make it up when they miss it. Because they don't want that momentary lapse to become, becoming mahroom, entirely devoid and bereft yeah. of the amal. Allahumma Look at this. Every line here is gold. Hmm? Then he mentions about his shaykh, Rahman al-Saqaf, whom Allah Ta'ala said, but who doesn't have, this as a play in Arabic language. Uh, there are several plays. He says, That's another one. But he's saying that person who has no weird is a pird. me means monkey in Arabic. So he says that that person who doesn't have a daily practice of turning to Allah's Fa'ta in Ibadah and Dua is like they a monkey.
1: Another Arif, another
0: of those Nords of Allah, Allah said, The arrival of blessings, Allah, Allah's Anwarat and Barakat coming onto our heart. Depends on the oral, depends on your sendings and offerings to him of your devotional acts of worship, your litanies and prayers. Therefore that person who outwardly has no where, And they will have no inner aspect of any consequence. So again now you're looking back at the rupture between the zahir batun, the outer and the inner self. So the inner anwarat are dependent on the outward ibadat. The inner anwarat are dependent on the outward ibadat. But, and he says something, which is, uh, everybody will be happy that he says this. Uh, uh, yeah, Allah Akbar. So yes, I'm also happy that he said this, because I want you people to know that they knew these things. But this shouldn't be the most happy line in this paragraph, in this chapter. What did he say? Be moderate and keep to the middle way and everything. But that's what it means. He's saying that, look, if you're a person who can't do it all the time, then don't try, you're going to do don't and you're going to talk about, don't try to do more than you can. Don't go all out, set a time for it, be regular, but keep it within a reasonable limit so that you attain and achieve and accomplish and you succeed as opposed to constantly falling short and lapsing and slacking and missing. And that's a big problem. A lot of us, we set up tasks for ourselves in being that we aren't able to attain, accomplish and achieve and succeed in. And then when you lapse and you slack and you miss and you falter and you fail, then you lose hope, you lose inspiration. And he's going to mention that this is a trick of Shittah, this is a trick of Iblis himself. So it says, be moderate and keep to the middle way and everything. Choose those acts which you are capable of persevering in. Plan your day which you're able to do. Be practical. What can you do? Think, how much Quran can you recite a day? You say, I can recite five minutes. Fine, do it. Don't say, no, oh, but that's so a shame. I'm going to recite Quran five minutes. I check my email one hour a day. Whatever you can do, do it. Do it. I can recite Istighfar, Car on the way to work. Do it. I can recite something when I drive back from work. Do it. Whatever you think you can easily do. I will even add what you can totally easily do. And if you miss, you can easily make it up also. Think of that as well. Right? Because you're supposed to make it up if you miss it. Set that for yourself. And become a person of attainment and accomplishment and success and be... So Imam al wrote to choose those acts which you're capable of persevering in. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, al-amali إِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَلْوَ مُحَا وَإِنْ That the most beloved acts to Allah Ta'ala are the ones that you do regularly. Most regularly, even if they're very slight or few. Even if they're qaleel. Even if they're qaleel. And the Mayakareen also said to choose the acts of which you are capable, for Allah Ta'ala will not grow weary before you. This is a jeep. But does it mean that Allah will never tire of you? Allah Ta'ala will never be weary of you that oh look at He's only reciting five minutes of Quran. Happy? Allah Ta'ala will be happy, He'll recite five minutes a day, He'll recite three minutes a day, He'll recite two minutes a day. He will never grow weary of you. So when you know that, so then pick those ibadah that you will yourself Never grow weary of them. And then he mentioned that it is the way, is shaitan's way to entice the seeker, murid. Murid is the person who has made an irada, who has made a firm intent and resolve that they want to seek the path that earns the pleasure of Allah ta'ala. So that shaitan will do what? At the beginning of this quest, shaitan will make them be excessive in their devotional activities. The purpose being to make him retreat. Either by giving up acts of goodness altogether that, oh, you know, this, this is too intense for me, I'm not cut out for it. You know, I went to that talk and I got inspired and I said, okay, let's do it. After a couple of days, you know, it's not me, you know, it's, uh, it's this stuff is too intense. <laughs> Don't make it too intense for yourself. Keep it at the level of intensity that you can handle. Keep it at the level of intensity you can handle. Because that's what shaitan wants, he wants you to give up entirely. He wants you to back off completely. Or performing them incorrectly, which means a person just races through it. Without feeling, without consciousness, without zikr. Just races through it. And the accursed one, this means iblis, shaitan, does not care which one of these, which of these two he inflicts a person. It's either they should abandon it or they should do it incorrectly. Either way, I just want to spoil it for them. You have to think like that, iblis and shaitan is the grand spoiler. He wants to spoil our relationship with Allah's fault. He's sworn to Allah Ta'ala that he will spoil our relationship. He has no other purpose in life other than to spoil our relationship with Allah He spends every single second of the day doing this. He doesn't take breaks from this. He never slacks in this. He's not lazy in this. He's extremely determined in this. He's extremely steadfast in it. And he's about it for each and every individual one of us. There's nobody who's beyond that. There's nobody who's beyond Right? Okay. Now he's going to mention, what are these Uhra? Now he's going to tell you what it is. What are these regular devotions? So he says, Oral usually take the form of superogatory prayers in Quran recitation, Talawati Quran, acquisition of knowledge, invocation, dhikr, or reflection thicker. Okay. Here, one could actually stop here and begin another chapter, because in this next so the rest of this chapter, which I would call the next chapter, is going to talk about Namashur. So extra prayers. And the next chapter is going to talk about Quranic recitation. And the next chapter is going to talk about acquiring ilm. That's also an important devotion of deen. And also those of you who are here in the Wednesday Quranic studies class, you have begun that journey of your acquisition of ilm. Then invocation zikr. That will also be a separate chapter. And Reflection Fikr, that will also be a separate chapter. Alright? But the longest time he's going to spend is on this first uh, topic, which is that of Nawafil or Superrogatory Prayers. Alright? Here, uh, the reason he's going to spend a long time in it, he's going to mention some principles that will be equally applicable to all of the other different Acts of Ibama. So he writes, we shall now mention some of the properties with which these religious activities need to be performed. <coughs> you must have a wird of supererogatory prayers in addition to the textually established ones. So, what he means is nawafil in addition to the faraid, nawafil in addition to the faraid, And you should assign a definite time for it and a definite number which you can constantly sustain. Some of our virtuous predecessors, which are known as the Salihin, may Allah Ta'ala have mercy on them, had a weird of 1,000 rakaz each day and night. Such, for instance, was Sayyidina Ali ibn Husayn, Rehmallahu Ta'ala. Others had a weird of 500, others 300 and so on. So this is just, obviously, these numbers are far beyond our reach, but it's to know. I'll tell you something about Imam al haddad ibn Ta'ala himself. He was blind at the age of five. Yes, this person who wrote this text and was this great shaykh to so many people was blind for pretty much all of his life. He became blind at the age of five. And when he was elderly, he had a khadim, a caretaker and attendant. And what he would do is the khadim would take him every night. He would say he lived in this place. I told him the valley of Hadramaut in Yemen and Tarif. And he would say, take me to a different masjid. And he would spend the whole night in Ibadah in the masjid. Then once he went into Halwa, which is a retreat dedicated to worship. But because he was married. So what he would do is he would have his caretaker taken to the masjid in Fajr. He would stay in the masjid from Fajr to Isha. Isha he would go back to his wife and he would spend the night with his wife. Isha to Fajr with his wife and Fajr to Isha in the masjid. That's the type of khalwa some of you would be able to do inshallah. Hmm? Fajr to Isha in the masjid in Ibadah. And Isha to Fajr in his, uh, at home with his wife. Alright? Uh, and if I remember correctly what was written about him, he would pray 700 rakats in those, when he used to uh, be at home in the day and be in the masjid at night. Alright? So there were people like that. Allah, Allah knows best if there are people like that still alive. Uh, the point isn't the number again, the point is the regularity and the perseverance. Alright? Now since he raised the topic of nawafil. He's actually going to talk about a very important thing, which is about the outward and inner aspect of prayer. Very important because it applies to the faraid also. So he's going to give us some tips and guidelines how to make our inner concentration and remembrance of Allah, Allah inside the prayer better. So he writes, know that the salah has an outer form of zahir and an inner reality about them. You will not have established the prayer and its outward properties such as ayam, correct standing, sujud, prostration, tasbih, glorification, recitation, tilawa, ruku, bowing, and so forth, until you have established both its outer aspect and its inner reality. As for its outer aspect, this constitutes those obligatory conditions set for by Allah Subhanahu that you have to be in wudu, you have to be pure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. While its inner reality is that one be present with Allah This was called in Arabic, بلولي قلب. بلولي meant the presence of heart. That your heart should be in it. It should be a heartfelt prayer. It means your body might be present, your tongue is present, but if your heart is absent, you haven't really established the salah. So your heart should be present. How will that happen? Number one, sincerely intend for that salah to be purely for his sake. Number two, approach Allah Ta'ala through that Salah. View the Salah as approaching Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala with complete resolution, with firm resolve, azm and irada. Number three, collect one's heart so that one's thought is restricted to the prayer and nothing else. It means gather your kalb. Don't let your mind wander, don't let your thoughts wander, don't let your feelings wander, don't let your heart wander. Collect and gather it only for Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and restricted to the prayer, nothing else, and maintain the adab necessary for communing with Allah Subhanahu Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ said, "The person who is praying salah, they're actually uh communing with Allah Subhanahu Means they're addressing Allah Subhanahu They're speaking to Allah Subhanahu All right? They are speaking to Allah Subhanahu That's also something if we could realize that, and we could feel that Innamal Innamal musallim munajin rabbahu, that indeed that person who's praying salah is, I remember I told you for munajat, munajat they're engaged in intimate discourse, intimate conversation with Allah SWT, and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu wa sallallahu wa sallam إِذَا قَامَ الْعَمْدُ إِلَى السَّلَاةِ أَقْبَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ بوجهه. That when a person stands and rises, the slave stands and rises for Salah, then Allah Ta'ala turns his expression of pleasure towards that servant and slave. So a person should feel that in their Salah. That's enough. In other words, these hadith are enough to make a person feel it. If when you pray, you remember this, that I'm talking to Allah Ta'ala, that Allah Ta'ala is turning towards me, Allah Ta'ala is expressing his pleasure towards me, it will put your heart in Salah. And if you're not remembering these things when you pray, it's hard to get your heart inside salah. Then Imam Al-Haddad, So now this was this paragraph was about the button for all the prayers, the Fajr and the Nawafil. Now Imam Al-Haddad mentions another thing that if you're going to pray extra prayers, the summary of this next paragraph is you're going to pray extra prayers. Start with the established Sunnas. Start with those established extra prayers, prayers that are established in Sayyidina Rasulullah Subhanahu you should not occupy yourself with unspecified Nawafil prayers at a time designated for a sunnah. At a time designated for a sunnah prayer, which Sayyidina Rasulullah وسلم S.A. either himself practiced or he spoke about until you have completed the maximum designated number for that sunnah prayer. So he gives some examples. Number one, an example of this, are the rakaz laid down before and after the obligatory prayers. So this I think all of you be aware of, two rakaz before Fajr, four before Zohar, two after Zohar two after Maghrib and two after Isha. And then additionally there are four before Asr. Alright, these are the most established ones. So what does it mean if you feel like praying something before Asr, pray those four before Asr that Sayyidina al some talked about. Alright? Okay. These are sufficiently well known as to need no further comment. Another example is the witr prayer, which is a well-established and certain prayer. Some scholars have been independent the opinion that it's obligatory. And that is actually the position of the Hanafi fuqaha. That Witr salah is actually wajib. Wajib. Alright. And Sayyidina Rasulullah said. That, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself is. When they say odd in number. What it means is not even in number. It means that Allah is one. Ahad. And he loves that which is also not even in number. Therefore observe the Witr. Okay. Now Obviously. This isn't to be taken strictly because Fajr is two, it's not wither. Zohar is four, it's not wither. Asr is four, it's not wither. Isha is four, it's not wither. Four out of the five prayers are not actually an odd number of rakas. Alright? Okay? So it's not some absolute rule and maxim to be applied to Salah. But what happened here is that this Salah of wither was the conclusion to tahajjud so when you combine it with two, four, six, eight rakats of tajjuh, but then you add three withers, the total number becomes odd. The total number becomes odd. And that's where Imam Allah is going to take this. So he's going to say the maximum is 11 rakats and its appropriate minimum is three. For those who have an established habit of rising for prayer during the latter part of the night, it's better to perform it then. Established habit means 99% of the time you wake up for tahajjud, then you should delay your wither until then. If 98% or less of the time you wake up for tahajjud, you should pray with her before sleeping. You should pray with her before sleeping. Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he used to pray with her before sleeping. Even though he was regular for tahajud. Why? He said that because when I go to sleep, I don't know if I will wake up. Allah Ta'ala might take my soul. So I don't like to sleep with an obligation pending upon me. I don't like to sleep with a debt, a gain on top of me. So I rather pray with them before I sleep. Allah put So and many uh mashayikh also recommend performing the Siddiqi way and therefore there are some people who even if they pray just 100% of the time even then they pray with her after their Isha before they sleep. Say <laughs> it. All right, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi said, And make your night prayer the wither. But those who have no time, will would be better to perform it after the Isha Salah. A further example, so another, he's giving another example of uh the Nawafil. I'm going to skip this and I'll come back to this tomorrow because he's going to mention uh something else about that of the head. So let me actually try to finish the part on the hanjul because although your time of ending. Somebody also mentioned this the other day that they're very happy that you end on time. Wow. That is an <laughs> Huh? Subhanallah. So that's why today I'm looking at 9.55. Huh? So fair. Okay, okay. So we can stop over here. Uh, I'll just summarize. Basically he's going to talk about other nu'afil. Then he goes back to talking about the hanjul uh, and he spends a lot of time Talking about different numbers of rakats and different prayers. But the lesson of this was the first thing, but simply this now to put it in practical terms for people like you and me, try to pray some type of nafil every day. Why don't you try to just pray one nafil salah a day? It might be tahajjit, might be four sunnahs before asr, might be awabeen, might be ishaat, might be duha, called and in person Urdu, might be tahiyatul masjid, might be tahiyatul bulu might be salatul there's so many different ones. Try, start with this, try with one a day. One a day. Hmm? This is a very famous multivitamin in the US. One a day, alright? And, if you link it back to what we mentioned and, and mix it up. So one a day, but then try to vary it. Maybe some days pray stifara, some days pray for. some days pray satsa tasleef, some days pray answer. So that at least overall, in your monthly ledger, there's a little bit of everything there. Because like you mentioned earlier, Imam Muhadarachan mentioned, that every ibadah has its own distinct flavor, its own distinct nur, brings its own barakah and its own type of madad and help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we are needy of all of that, right? We are needy of every single aspect of nur and every single barakah and every single madad from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should try to vary it up. So why don't you just try this and this first thing that he mentioned, which was the supererogative prayers, right? And then there are details, and maybe we'll do a reading, or I might leave that to you, let's see. But he mentioned more details and more prayers, and you can get more details even elsewhere about different prayers. But try to add one prayer a day. And then have that feeling that if you miss it, you make it up. Have that feeling that your soul feels sad when you miss it. Have that feeling that you're scared that if you miss it, it wasn't a one-time lapse. What if I'm going to miss it entirely? Try to first focus on the feelings. Pick one Amal and use that one Amal to feel the feelings that he talks about. And keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing it. Once you've felt the feelings, then you might do two a day, three a day, four a day, five a day. That's up to you, however much time you have, how much energy you have. But start with one a day and use that one to feel all the different feelings that he mentioned. And then going back to the first chapter that we did, all of us, we all know this, but it's harder to practice it than it is to teach it and to listen to it, but we should try to make our batin more virtuous than our outward. And that's coming later in the text. That is called Akhlaq, That is called adab. That is called sifat. Sifat of Mu'mineen Which is like I told you before Sabr, Shukr, Tawakkul, etc And these are very important things So It's not just about these extra prayers And extra outward acts But it's a lot about our inward character May Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq To become people who change In these blessed days and nights of Zul And in this moment When Allah ta'ala is changing the destiny Literally the takdeer Of millions of Mu'mineen Who are there in Makkah and There in al Manawra So we sitting here Wherever we may be we also want our takdhir to be changed in these days and nights. And this is what it means for our to be changed. Never think lowly level. Takdhir means your job and career and income level. Takdhir means your akhirah. For your akhirah to be improved. For your future destiny in the hereafter to be improved. For your relationship with Allah to be improved. May Allah Ta'ala accept this from us. May Allah Ta'ala get each and every one of us taufiq to do amal on all that was written. After a little, I and Make us virtuous and are alone, virtuous and are alone with you, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi Karim, we ask that you accept any outward piety and public piety that we have. But Ya Allah, we ask that you accept it by decreeing and granting to us the inward piety, the private piety, the secret piety, the secret modesty. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, Remember us when, remind us when we forget. Grant us tofi to remember you when we are alone. Hilma grant us the zikr in environments of Dufla. Hilma grant us fear in, amongst the people who are fearless. in Bikrim, let us always worship you. Let us be timely in our worship. Our structure, our time. Ya Rabbi we too want to get the nur of every ibadah, the nur of every amal. Ya Rabbi help us to increase the quantity of our mal, the quality of our amal, the variety of our amal. Ya Rabbi make us regular in our devotions, regular in our badat, make us people of urad, make us people of waridat, Ya Rabbi Allah give us the to pray. Let us be firm and steadfast in our fara'id. Let us be inner and focused in our fara'id. In a we ask that you grant us the ability to value our time structure our time, make the most out of our time forgive us for all the laziness that we have lived, forgive us for all the hours, days, weeks, months, years that we have wasted, but Ya Rab, it is never too late to turn to you, never too late to come to you, never too late to be drawn by you, and to become closer to you, make it easy for us Ya Rab, and we ask that you accept the hajj of all the hujaj and them kareem, accept all their duas for the ummah, accept all their duas for their loved ones, shower your rahmah and on them, and do the barakah of the Days and nights, show your Rahman work on all of the Ummah Yadam de Kareem? Rabbanatakamal minna in the Kantasani of Kareem. But to Molena in the Rahim, who sun the ta'ala ala Hadibi, he Muhammad, ala Alihi or Sahlihi, ajmain, be Rahmatika ya Allah.